Montel here with another edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And you know what? This is where we have conversations about everything from cannabis to wellness to social issues and much, much more. And today, I don't have a guest, guys. It's just moi. But the guest is me. And why is the guest me? Because I want to talk to you about a couple of things that I've, you know, talked about before in the past, but I don't think I've done on Let's Be Blunt. And, you know, <laughs> the way we're living right now and the society that we live in, you know, Everybody's walking around, I think, jolted, walking around, looking around like, what the devil is going on? Is this for real? You know, everything from politics to, you know, our social lives are just in total disarray. And, you know, I've written, and a lot of you may not know this, but I've written eight books along the way, four of which were New York Times bestsellers, by the way. One of them was Living Well with Montel. And in that book, you know, I outlined what I think are my 17 tips to happiness, but some tips that I think that can just help you deal with the day-to-day, you know, just existing. And I thought maybe, you know, every now and then I'm going to throw some of these at you just to give you something to think about tomorrow, tonight. You know, tomorrow when you're sitting at your desk and you're going, oh, woe is me. Instead of, oh, woe is me, how about thinking about how I can spin this day into something really positive? You know, I I am have been accused of and Some of my friends think that, you know, how the devil can you be so optimistic all the time? And I'm going to tell you the truth. It's not true. I recently, because of, you know, what's been going on in our society, I have really been wrestling with trying to keep my head on straight and continue to think positively. And it's an effort, you know, just as much work as you put into looking good. And that's going to the gym and working out and exercising and, you know, trying to eat the right diet. You need to put in that much work in how you feel on a daily basis. And so I have, you know, I wrote about them. You can get a copy of my book, Living Well at Montel, and you can see that these tips are in there. But I'm going to jump to them real quick. I have seven insights that, you know, I really do try my best to focus in on every single day. And they're insights that I think if I share them with you, you might want to pause for a minute Think about what it is I said. Write it down if, you, if you've if got a pen nearby or just, you know, hit the record button on your phone and record it for yourself. So I'll say it a couple of times so you understand. But one of those insights is you alone own the definition of who you are. You own the definition of you. You control the power of your own happiness. You are the one who are what you think you are and you're as happy as you think you can be. Now, that says a lot, right? When I say you are who you think you are, and you are as happy as you think you can be. Most people are going, oh, get out of here, man. When I'm depressed, there's no way that I can think myself into being happy. Oh, yes, you can. Because, you know, if you stop for a second and you just kind of ponder, sit back and think. When you're at the desk and you're getting ready to, you're looking across your desk at the other person in the other cubicle and trying to figure out how come they seem to get everything done and I'm getting nothing done and I'm really sick of being here. I wish I was not here. You know, stop, 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 stop. You have just as much control over how negative you think 
as how positive you think. And so when I say you own the definition of who you are, you know, that means that you have to stop for a second and try to figure out who you are. And how I came up with this idea was, uh, you know, let's go back a little bit, but, you know, when I was in the military and then the Navy, I spent, oh, about 180 days under the water. Three different submarine missions. One of those missions was 91 days long. Another one was maybe 78 days long. Another one was almost, you know, 98 days long. And, you know, under the water, and I say 98 days long, that was hatch to hatch. They closed the hatch behind you, and then 98 days later, opened the hatch up. And for 98 days, you're floating around underwater. And you want to talk about a depressing place. That could have been the most depressing time of my entire life. But I set about a mission, and that mission was to see if I could reflect back and think about decisions that I'd made in my life along the way, why I made them, and what impact they had on other people. And that's what helped me develop out the idea of I alone own the definition of who I am because I started remembering things in my past that I had not thought about in a long time. I remember, you know, one issue that came up that I dealt with, it took a long time for me to deal with, was that back when I'm a, I'm a product, you've been hearing about it a lot in this current election cycle, about, you know, the early 60s in America when someone came up with this bright idea to bus kids from one neighborhood to another neighborhood to see if they can integrate schools and help to maintain an integrated society, which I think was a good idea that we've fallen way away from, um, you know, especially right now being one of the most segregated societies that we've times in our history. But when that happened, you know, I was bused to an all-white school, and, and I will never forget that I was in the third grade, and, and, you know, they were in the county that I lived in. They were having this little thing where, you know, they had third graders write stories and really elementary school kids write stories and then they would pick one a week and read it on a local radio station and I was fortunate enough to have one of my stories read on a local radio station so I thought I was like the end all because I had written a story that that was selected and you know the little kid that nobody really wanted in school got picked and so you know I uh, I wrote a story and the story that I wrote was uh, I'll tell it to you it was a story about you know uh, Christmas Time was coming, and I didn't have a lot of money. So, you know, I um, went to see if I could buy some Christmas gifts for the whole family. And, you know, by the time I spent my $7 or $8 to get some things, I realized I didn't have any money left to get them wrapped. And so uh, in my story, I said I went down to, you know, the area where the woman wrapped the gifts and I said, hey, you know, if I'll clean up your floor and pick up all the trash, if you'll wrap my gifts for me. And she said, well, you know, you do that until we're done and I'll wrap all your gifts. And so I cleaned up the area where she was at and she wrapped all my gifts and I took my gifts home and stuck them under the tree and whoo you know, Christmas Day came along and you know, everybody had a really nicely wrapped gift that they could pull out under the tree and ripped it open and were big smiles on the whole family's face and I was like the big hero because I had made my little bit of money stretch not only to gifts but 
to things were a wrap. Yay, great story. And I thought, that's my chaise de resistance. That was the story of all stories. That story is going to get picked to be read on the radio. And when I turned it in, I remember it was a couple of days later, the teacher turned back all the stories that, because everybody had to write a story in the classroom. And the stories came back. And when mine came back, there was a big red red circle wrapped around one word throughout the entire story. And uh, the story that the, the paper itself had a big red F on it with a circle around that. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Are you kidding? This is the best story ever written by any child in the history of mankind. And you got the nerve to give me an F? Are you crazy? So, you know, I, I, and I knew that if I had taken that, that red F home, you know, there was a uh, rear end whipping that was waiting for me on the other end. So I folded it up, hid it in my back pocket, took it home, stuck it in between my mattress and box springs, never let anybody in the family see it. But like day three came along and I was like, why did I get a big red F? So I took that paper back to school and took it up and handed it to, walked into the classroom. And after class was over, I walked up to the teacher and said, why did I get this red F? And the teacher looked at me and she said, it's because you know, you know what you did. It's because you people have only one thing on your mind. And that's why you'll never be anything in life. And I looked down at the paper. I still didn't understand what this woman was talking about. What do you mean? And I, I, I did it deliberately. What are you talking about? So I took the paper back home. I hid it in between my bachelor's and box springs. And I let it stay there for almost three years to the point that it almost had disintegrated because the paper was, you know, being pulled out. I had to hide it from my mother when she came and changed the sheets, stick it back in between the bachelor's and box springs so I knew somebody would see it. I should have just torn it up and thrown it away, but I didn't do that. And, you know, by the time I hit the sixth grade, I pulled it out one time and then I looked back at it again and I realized, wait a minute. And I remember those words. This is why you people will never be nothing in life because you only have one thing on your mind. And I looked at the paper and realized that I had consistently misspelled one word throughout the entire story. And that one word was the one word that had been circled with the red that correlated to the red F. And I decided at this point in time, because now I knew how to use a dictionary, that I looked up the word to try to figure out what is she talking about and realized that the word that I misspelled was W-R-A-P-P-E-D. I had spelled it R-A-P-E-D throughout the entire paper. And this woman had the nerve to have looked at me when I was in the third grade and said, this is, you people only have one thing on your mind. This is the reason why you will never be nothing in life. So she literally was saying to a third grade young child that you only have rape on your mind. And that's the reason why you never be nothing in life. And from that moment on, I literally set a path, not just to prove her wrong, but to prove that nobody has a right to try to define who I'm going to be. I will own the definition of who I am myself. And that's why I went on to, you know, go to, again, be bused to middle school, then to high school. I went on to become, you know, a, a 
a student on the Board of Education in Anne Arundel County, the first one ever picked. I went on to become the class president of my junior and senior year. I was a parliamentarian to the Chesapeake Regional Association of Student Councils. I was a, you know, uh, uh, adjutant to the, the Maryland Association of Student Councils. I went on to uh, win the Martin Luther King Award for the state of Maryland uh, for my high school. Um, I went on to enlist in the Marine Corps and then be meritoriously promoted three times before I entered the Naval Academy in Annapolis, where I went through the Naval Academy Prep School, then through the Academy, and all along trying to prove this comment wrong. And I really never had to do that because if I had understood that what I thought of in the sixth grade as I alone will determine who I will be, I would have forgone some of the idea that I had to live up to someone else's expectation, or I should have said live down to someone else's expectation, but I was only having to live up to my own. And so going back to that submarine, that thought bounced back one night while I was laying in the bed in Iraq uh, that actually was underneath the executive officer's rack and it's a little teeny cubbyhole, but I spent every single night of that 78-day deployment trying to look back at a period or a decision I made in my life that might have been right, might have been wrong, but helped to define who I was. And so when I say to you that you alone own the definition of who you are, the only way you can figure out that definition is by defining who you are and you define yourself by what you've done. So what does that mean? So that means that you take a little time with yourself every single day and check in with you. You know, the idea of you talking to yourself may seem a little crazy or absurd, but why not? Really, you're your best friend on this planet. And if you are not willing to ask yourself how you feel and answer yourself honestly, that's, I think, our biggest mistake in life. And that's why I think one of these seven insights, why this is the number one insight that I've had in my life, is to try to make sure I understood and understand who I am. When I make a decision, I know why I make that decision. Is that decision based on other people's input, or is that decision based on how I truly feel about no matter what the issue is, helps me define who I am in a way that makes me comfortable with my existence, comfortable with who I am. Yeah, I've made mistakes. I've made plenty of them along the way. But the exercise of evaluating those mistakes, figuring out what I learned from them, even though I may not have learned it at the time of the mistake, but I learn it now, helps me understand and helps me not make that same mistake again in the future, but also helps me to accept life. You know, again, instead of sitting at that desk looking across to the other cubicle and, and complaining and worrying about what that person is doing, it made me focus in on who I am and what the work was that was in front of me and the work that needed to be accomplished and do it in a way that I'm satisfied with what I've done. And it's really difficult, I think, for a lot of people to stop for a second and slow down the world around them to think through the idea of who you really are. But I think that's really 
the quintessential piece to having a life that's filled with happiness. Because once you understand who you are, then you'll understand that, guess what? As easy as it is for me to sit around in a corner and go, oh, woe is me. And this comes to my tip number two. You know, the power to conquer sadness and depression and achieve happiness lies inside of you. Therapists and medication and external forces can make a difference, but the ultimate power belongs to you and nobody else. You are the master of your emotional destiny. And what does that mean? That means that as easily as I can sit in a corner and talk myself into a depressed mood, hell, if I sit in that corner and think about all the really wonderful things that have happened in my life, I have a way to spiral myself up out of an abyss rather than down into one. And, you know, I know you're going to say, well, I can't think of those things that made me happy. Stop. Stop. You know you can. There have been times when you've sat back and you, you smiled because, you know, you you graduated from high school and you walk across the, the stage and you graduated from high school. Or if you didn't graduate from high school, but you literally graduated from a trade school. You didn't graduate from a trade school, but you learned to trade on your own and literally got paid for it. Those are things that are accomplishments. And we too often take our individual accomplishments for granted. We don't even think about them. We don't pat ourselves on the back. Take a second and pat yourself on the back. And when you pat yourself on the back, if you do that in the privacy of the den of your bedroom when you think you're so depressed, all of a sudden those pats on the back become pats on the bottom that start pushing you up rather than pushing you down. You know, I often used to say to people, you know, there's one really easy way to do this. And think about it. You know, all you got to do, and if you're listening right now, you know, and I know you are, you're listening. You want to literally close your eyes for a second. And when you close your eyes, literally as you close them, take, take the deepest breath you can. Take a deep breath. Suck it in. And let it out. And then do it again. Suck it in and let it out. And maybe do it one more time. And this time, I'm really wanting to suck in that breath. Clear your mind. Suck it in. And the only thing you're thinking about right now is listening to that breath come back out of your lungs. And while you're sitting there with your eyes closed and you're taking that third breath, take a fourth one, but still listen to me. Now what I want you to do is I want you to think right now one of, about the most beautiful thought you can have in life. Or think about something that's really, 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 really special to you. And while you think about that, I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, uh, uh, cutting the cord on my very first child. And doing so again with my second child and my third and my fourth. I'm thinking about walking across that stage at the Naval Academy and getting my diploma. Then walking back out into the seating area and, you know, after everybody else got there, just throwing my hat in the air and watching it rise in the air along with a thousand other hats. 
the knowing that I had just accomplished something for four years that 60,000 people attempted to accomplish and only a thousand of us got picked to go into. And I'm one of those that accomplished that. And that beautiful thought puts a big smile on my face. And if I just think about that for a minute and think about, you know, the real sincere thank you I got from that woman who's grocery bag broke in line to me next at a grocery store and I stopped and helped her pick up all her things and put it into another bag and that lady looked at me with the look of like I can't believe you helped me do that that much it's a beautiful thought it's one of those thoughts that will linger with me for life and now if you understand that on those times that you're feeling down and you're not feeling you know, like you've done your best. If I think back at a time when I did do my best and I really, really focus in on how I felt and I'm still paying attention to my breathing, instead of being depressed, I start to get a little teeny pick-me-up. Well, that little teeny pickup can be multiplied into a huge pickup if we keep identifying those things that I did that were good. You know, there's a scientist out there, a psychiatrist who, her name was Lou Ramersky, who identified, you know, this theory that 50% of how we feel, how happy we are is genetic. You know, there are people who walk around who are, oh, woe is me, no matter what. And, but the reason why they're that way is because they allow that 50% to determine how they feel 100%. And we know that 50% of our happiness is something that's literally genetically born into us. And 10% of how we feel at any given moment is based on circumstances, things that are happening around us, to us, near us. But the other 40%, we have 100% control over. So 60% of us may be trying to make us feel bad, but if the other 40% of us fights that as hard as we can and tries to think of things that are positive and think about life as being positive and think of a positive thought, you can lift yourself out of that abyss. But it requires work. It's not something that just happens to you. It's something that you do to yourself. And so often we are waiting for external things to see if it changes how we feel about who we are. When that really doesn't impact us that much at all. It's how we individually feel, what we're thinking in that second. You know, I could be, and like so many people right now, are so depressed about our society, you know, and, and, you know, you may agree with me or you may not agree with me. I don't know where you stand politically, and that's not where I'm going, but, you know, for you, but for me, I know that watching the news, and I happen to do it way too much, I will turn the news on before I go to bed. I turn the news on when I wake up. I'm headed to the shower. I'm drinking a cup of coffee. 
I have the news on. And what is the news these days? Nothing but one miserable story after another. One battle, one fight, one argument, one scream fest after another, no matter what channel you put it on. If people, you know, they can't even tell you a story about the dog that was saved without trying to make it negative. And I start to realize that, you know what? First off, the best thing to do is cut that trash back off. The second it doesn't inform me, but it starts to agitate me, I cut it off. And then I go to not my happy place, but I go to that place where I'm trying to think positively. And what do I do in the morning when I get up? I mean, you know, I've, I've talked about it before and I've said it many times, but this is one of those tips that I think you can take away and keep, hold on to. Before I go to bed, before I go to sleep at night, every single day, I say to myself, what did I do today that's worth talking about tomorrow? What did I do today that's worth talking about tomorrow? And I identify that. And whether you like it or not, some of you are saying trying to be negative. Well, I didn't do anything today that's worth talking about tomorrow. Stop. You might have walked through a door and held the door for the person behind you. That's worth talking about tomorrow. Because so many people walk through the door and let the door slam in the other person's face. Maybe you got up in the morning or maybe you did something today just by saying hello to someone and you notice that they smiled at you. You may have changed the person's entire outlook just by one comment out of your mouth. That's worth talking about tomorrow. When I get up in the morning, the first thing I do is I look in the mirror and I say to myself, I did that. And that had impact. And what that does is helps set my mood for the day because it starts my day off with an accomplishment it starts my day off with having done something positive in life. And this is something that you have to work at doing. It's not something that just comes to you naturally. You know, if you have to, take a piece of paper and write it down. Write down. What did I do today that's worth talking about tomorrow? And read it before you go to bed. And think about it. And find that gem. You know, there's this old saying that, you know, you can if you walked around the world as if you were kind of blind, if you were blind, you would literally feel your way. And then you would never miss the diamond that's on the ground below you that you thought was just a rock. There might be one down there. So if you stop for a second and look back through all the rocks of your day, you're going to find that bright spot. And that bright spot is something to hold on to, to cherish, something to think about the next morning when you're about to take off to go to work. And instead of going to work in an, oh, woe is me, I'm going to go to work looking for another bright spot to talk about the next day. And then by day three, I'm trying to make sure I do something that's worth talking about the next day. I'm trying to make sure that I at least try to be more positive so that someone else who's looking at me sees a positive person. And that by itself may be enough to change another person's way and another person's outlook on their day. And that's an accomplishment, especially in a time that we live in right now when so many other people just get caught up in watching the news. I know it's tough, but... Like I said, as easy as it is for us to talk ourselves into a depression, 
it's as easy for us to talk ourselves into a brighter moment if we spend the time talking to ourselves and understanding where we come from. But I got to tell you, none of it works if we don't take care of ourselves. You know, the way you feed your mind is the same care you need to put into feeding your body. And, you know, it's that old saying, what you put in is what you get out. Well, what you put in is what you get out. If you're not trying to fuel your body with, you know, a diet that's filled with things that lessen inflammation and lessen anxiety, you know, you may be sabotaging your ability to think positively because, you know, the inflammation that's, that's, that's bugging you, that's causing pain in your joints, keeps you from thinking positively. So there are ways for you to think about looking for a diet, looking for a way of eating and drinking, drinking water. You know, I get up every morning now and, and, and drink, you know, at least an eight-ounce glass when I walk, get up from the bed of ice water. Ice water, supposedly, I've read this, it will help to stimulate your metabolism if that's the first thing you put in your body when you wake up in the morning. Well, not only does it help stimulate, but, you know, drinking a glass of ice water when you wake up is a jolt to the system, baby, I'm telling you. A positive jolt, especially on day three. And if you give it a shot, I know it will make a difference in your life also. And my seventh tip is, you know, it goes back to the first one, but owning the definition of who you are takes time. And it takes time with you. So that seventh tip is to, you know, we we often hear about meditation and people who meditate. And no one who's not a meditator can figure out what that is. Because they go, what, what is meditation? I'm going to sit around and go, oh, no. It's really sitting around and trying to clear your mind. Clear it. Don't sit there in a corner and ponder, oh, woe is me, or the plight of what I have to get ready to do. But sit there and just be blank. Be still. Be in the moment. Listen to your breath. Listen to your breathing. See if you can hear your heartbeat. Spend some time with you. And that 20 minutes to 30 minutes that you can sit there and just be quiet, you'll find maybe some of the most relaxing time of your entire day. Do I get to do this, all seven of these things every single day of the week? No. Do I try to get three to four of them every day of the week? Absolutely, yes. Do I try to meditate every day? Absolutely. Why? My meditations now have turned into conscious flow of thought where rather than clearing my mind, I try to focus in on something that it is that I know I need to accomplish, even if it's just feeling better, trying not to overreact when I think of some news story or I think of some friend or family member or someone who would bother me. I spend the 20 minutes trying to determine why 
do I let this bother me? And guess what? I'm not going to let it bother me anymore. It takes as much effort to feel good about yourself as it does to feel bad about yourself. And to feel bad about yourself, you actually put a lot of effort in downing yourself, doubting yourself, putting yourself down, thinking about negative things. Twist that paradigm. Try your best. You know, I, I'm a, uh, a person who I will call a friend now who is has been really a prime example of someone who is in the midst of horrific battle with MS. And her battle has been such that, you know, it's definitely thrown her monkey wrench that most people would just quit on. But she has the ability to see through the idea of quitting and turn that into the idea of hope, the idea of 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 trying to get through, knowing that it's not just for her, but it's for her family. And, you know, I I literally have been so proud to be a part of her journey that, you know, I focus in on things that she says. And I, I focus in on the fact that she she's so descriptive in how she's been feeling and how her disease has affected her. But even in the darkest moments, she will throw the monkey wrench of positivity at herself to make her snap out, to make her say, I'm not going to quit. And I'm talking about Selma Blair, uh, for those of you who, who may have guessed, but you know she's become you know, an example for me of a person who is not going to allow anyone else or anything else to define her, but she's going to define the person that she is. So, you know, again, those are my seven insights for living well. And you can break them up, break them apart, go back, listen to this again, and break them down into their individual components and try implementing one of those in your life each day, every day. Do one at a time. And then on day seven, you'll have all seven of them. And then figure out the course of the next seven days, how many of them you can employ at any given day. But I'm going to guarantee you that if you stop for a second and think them through, you can make your life better. So thanks so much for tuning in today. Let's be blunt with Martel. I'm being blunt, but being blunt about taking care of you. Okay? 